Eagles Entertainment. Eagle Eye in the Sky is fueled by Gatorade, the official sports drink of the Philadelphia Eagles. Anything that moves, I don't care who it is. Let's go. Give me everything you got. Play fast, play hard. Let's beat these boys tonight in their house. It's party time. It's party time. Let's go. Touchdown! You're listening to the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast. Now here's your host, Brand Duffy. That's right. Another week, and the Eagles are on the road again as the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast, fueled by Gatorade, continues. I'm Fran Duffy, and I think we've got a great show for you here on episode number 218. At the top of this week's show, we've got Chalk Talk, where, as always, I catch up with NFL Film senior producer Greg Cosell. We're going to talk about what we saw from the film. A lot of good, a lot of bad from Sunday's loss against the Seattle Seahawks. We'll break all of that down and then preview this week's matchup against the Miami Dolphins down in South Beach. Greg and I will get into everything we see on film with these two teams. Next up, we will get into scouting report where I'm going to break down a rookie starter for that Miami Dolphins team and how his story, along with some others that I've seen from around the league this year, has helped kind of shift my focus, we'll say, when it comes to offensive linemen and playing early in the NFL. And then after that, we'll wrap up the show. Let's not waste any more time, though. Let's get into now Chalk Talk with Greg Cosell. Let's get down to business. It's time for Chalk Talk. Well, joining us once again here on Chalk Talk on the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast, fueled by Gatorade, none other than NFL film senior producer Greg Cosell. Greg, uh, look, a a lot of good (laughs) and a lot of bad. I said it a couple seconds ago, right? A lot of good and a lot of bad. Uh, If you watch the offense... A lot of things where you say, like, man, that's the, this, was, this was a really tough watch. Defensively, they did a lot some of good really things. good things. Yeah. So I think let's pull the Band-Aid off. Let's go to the, let's go to the offense first because that's typically where we start. Um, okay, are we done with that? Yeah, <laughs> right. Exactly. Okay. All right, let's fast forward. <laughs> uh, I think when you look at this, um, were there certainly some plays that you say, like, all right, like this is what the offense needs to look like right now if they're going to be effective and they're moving the football? Uh, yes, there were some of those plays. Um, I thought Miles Sanders ran the ball pretty well. Uh, we saw Greg Ward come in off the practice squad, catch everything that was thrown his way. Uh, J.J. Ortega-Whiteside made a couple nice catches in this game, which was good to see. Um, you know, Miles Sanders had some good plays in pass protection as well. There was some good stuff. Overall, the execution across the board just was not good enough. Oh, and I think... I don't think you'd be saying anything out of school to say that with the receivers that they had to put out yesterday, there was only one way they could play to really yeah. win. Yep. And I think whenever there's only one way you can play to, to run offense effectively in the NFL, that puts you at a disadvantage before you even start. And not, and not to cut you off too, but not no, okay. just without the receivers, but also without Lane Johnson, right. Brandon Brooks after the second drive, no Jordan Howard. So without six offensive starters, more than half of right. the starters uh, that you came into the season with, uh, you know, it's, it's tough sledding. No, no question. And they, unfortunately, for many reasons, quarterback did not play well. There were a number of routes that were not run properly. You and I know that from watching tape. For any number of reasons, the execution was not there, and they had no other way to win. Yep. So, therefore, the offense stalled. And it's very hard, as you know, as well as Miles Sanders ran the ball. Jai had a couple of good runs as well. Yep. Uh, it's very, very difficult in this league 
to do what they did against the Patriots two weeks ago and go 15 plays, 95 yards. Let's say you do that once. Yeah. That's obviously not enough to win games in the league. It's yep. just very, very hard to do that. Yeah, and they did have a long drive late in the game, but that's those are so hard to come by yeah. that you can't count on being able to do that time after time and right. time. And, but that's that's where they are right now. And any mistake gets magnified yes. because you just don't have a way to compensate for those kinds of mistakes. Yep. Um, I talked on the post-game show uh, on Sunday after the game with, with Amy Campbell and Ike Reese about you know, talking about this game, you know, I think under the prism of Carson Wentz, I think a lot of people, you know, and again, he did not, he didn't play well on Sunday. Well, he was um, the first one to admit it. Yeah, and no, exactly. I think that a lot of people will make it all, you know, talk about big picture and uh, why, why did he look so bad this game? Why did he look so bad? He missed this receiver. He missed that receiver. Uh, number one, you were exactly right. There were a number of plays where, you know, either the protection was not great and, you know, that certainly impacted him. And then also, uh, routes were not run to the depth or run with the, quite the sharpness and the detailed oriented uh, you know execution that you would want right. from the guys in that position um, and that certainly throws things off and we don't we're not privy to all those details all the time because we don't know exactly how no. it goes we just go off of how we've seen it run time after time again over the and you obviously have a lot more experience with that uh, you know with what well you routes as you know and again I can't speak to every single route that was run yesterday yeah. whether it's right or wrong there's some I know some yeah. I don't right. I'll be the first to admit it exactly but but routes are often, more often than not, they're a function of the splits of the receiver. Mm. They're supposed to be in a certain spot, and they're taught then to run a route based on, let's say, where the numbers are or where the hash is. You you run it two yards inside a hash or two yards outside a hash. Yep. And particularly if it's zoned, there are specific places to settle. Yep. And if you settle four feet to one side, which doesn't seem like a, a big deal if yep. you're just watching the game on television— that is a big deal. Yeah. And I think there were a number of plays like that, you know, which in my mind anyway, but obviously there were also throws that, that Carson missed, yeah. clearly. No, I mean, that's the thing is that it's not – this isn't a, man, the quarterback was just so bad and held everything back or the offensive line was so terrible and held everything back. I think you can take the blame and parse it out equally across the board and say, all right, listen, they're, they're, as a group, it's just not – being executed as well as it needs to be. Um, and th getting back to what I was going to say earlier is that I really I think when you look at this from a, a Carson point of view and through the Carson Wentz prism, I don't look at this as like a game as an, in isolation. I look at this as kind of a culmination of what we've seen over the last few weeks because this isn't like this is the first week where they've had to play this way. They've been down you know, some of their top weapons. It's been this way for a couple of months now where, you know, no Deshaun Jackson, Alshon Jeffrey in and out. This was the first game that Nelson was out, but they've, been, you know, Dallas Goddard was in and out of the lineup. So they've been without some of these top guys. Um, and it's, it's, I think it's starting to show a little bit. And I think that's one of those things is now moving forward. How does Carson respond? How does the rest of the offense respond? Can they pull this together down the stretch? And then more, I would say even more importantly, Going to 2020 and 2021, all anything that happens this year from a negative standpoint, you you don't want that to be a lasting impact no. and go into the future. And I think too, you have to figure out a way as a coaching staff, some way to try to create bigger plays. Mm. Now, I watch tape of every team, as you know, and you do not have to have four three burners to create bigger plays. And I'm not talking about a receiver just running by a corner on the outside. I'm talking about schemed plays. Mm. They have to find a way to do that. Because the one thing that really stands out watching the Eagles offense, Fran, and I know you agree, because that's what the tape tells you, we're, we're just reacting to the tape, right? 
is there is no explosive pass plays. Yep. I mean, even the week before against New England in that long drive, they had a 21-yard pass play, which was the only 10-plus-yard play in that drive, and it was a screen to Dallas Goddard. Yeah. There's no pass plays down the field where the ball's thrown down the field. Yeah. And they don't really even attempt those kinds of plays So until they, they absolutely need to. Right. Like when it's later in the game and Wentz tries to stick in the, the whole shot versus cover two, and uh, I think it was Flowers did a great job sinking yep. because there was no one in front of him to, you know, to hold him and control him. Yep. So he did a great job sinking and, and, and being able to play that, that whole shot. And then, of course, later in the game on the touchdown drive, he did hit Arcega, Arcega Whiteside on, on a whole shot, which was a great throw and catch. But there's, that, that was a 30-yard play, and I think it might have been the only pass play in the game that was longer than, what, 12 or 13 yards? Right. I think ultimately, um, yeah, and we've talked about this, is that with the current personnel on the roster due to injuries and, and you know, what, kind of where they're at, they have to play a certain way without the run game. That's further help. You know, correct. With losing Jordan Howard is tough because Miles Sanders again. Miles Sanders ran hard the other day. Actually, I I liked what I saw from him I, running the football. So did I. But it's still not Jordan Howard in terms of what he what he brings and that you know that tone setting element and not having. We talked so much about that right side of the offensive line, how good they've been for them, uh, not just this year but over the last few years. Not having both Brooks and Lane yeah. Johnson, who they're. It seems like they'll get both guys back Sunday against Miami. That will be a, a nice shot right, in the arm right. for that group. But uh, you know. Tough to, it was it was really tough sledding as a group overall. No, and, and I think we're not saying anything wrong by saying yep. it was a tough watch. Yeah. Let's go to the other side. Which was very good, I thought. It, the last month, it's been really, really yeah. good. But it, yesterday was really, really impressive. Yep. Um, I like some of the things. What what, stu- what was the first thing that stood out to you after watching it? Like, what one thing did you walk away saying, like, okay, this was one cool thing that I'm going to talk about tonight on Chalk Talk on the Eagle Line This Guy podcast, fueled by Gatorade? I wouldn't say it's cool. Nicely done, by the way. Thank you. Yeah. I want to pay the bills. Yeah, I know. I know. I wouldn't say it's cool. I just thought it was good. You know? All right. Well, yeah. First of all, I guess I was surprised that they, on third down, they played three safety dime and not four corner dime because we'd seen a lot of four corner dime Mm -hmm. over the last couple of weeks with Douglas. Do you have a reason? Do you have a thought process to why? I have no brilliant answer for that. I was wondering if it's if it's because Seattle is more of a run team, so maybe just the idea that. But you they did it on third body. down, yeah. third and six plus, when you're not really expecting a run. Right. Yeah. So I don't know the answer to that, unless they just and they played a lot of cover one out of it. By the way, they did and then they spied. They used both Bradham and Jenkins as spies. Uh, they started off the game with Bradham being the spy on third and long out of three safety dime cover one. And then as the second quarter kind of came into play and the game moved on, they would use Jenkins as a spy. Yep. Uh, but yeah, that struck me right away that uh, Epps and, and Epps pretty much was the post safety all the time. Did you watch him in college? I did not. I didn't either. Yeah, no, this, I did this not. Really been I knew the name, but I did not right. watch him. Exactly. Um, yeah. No, they really. He played a, a bunch of snaps on Sunday. Yeah, uh, I mean, I, he played, and obviously he played at the end. Of, I think the end of the half, or yep. the, you know, when they went to to, to that personnel package. Right. Yep. But. Um, yeah, he had to play probably at least 15, 18 snaps in the game. What I thought, too, was that I thought that they did a good job of mixing in uh, some of that invert cover, too. Without question. And that kind of confused Russell Wilson yes. a couple times. I don't think he was expecting it on a couple no, of those plays. No, no, no. And it's funny you say that because I always write down in my notes, I say three robber, two invert because I'm right, just yeah. not sure. <laughs> but no, I think they started out in cover one and then they sort of went to that 
three robber, two invert. And there were a couple of times I thought Wilson dropped back and was you know, did not get a clear picture. Yeah, you know, I thought that, that the, a couple of those sacks, uh, the one by Brandon Graham, uh, the one by Rodney McLeod, um, where bo- you could tell Russell Wilson dropped back and he did yeah. not, no. not that he didn't know what he was seeing, but it was well, not Well, he didn't get he, a clear picture. He, it was not what he expected right. it to look like. <laughs> exactly. Um, you so didn't get a clear picture. And in the NFL, if you don't get a clear picture, you know, time goes by and right. it goes by fast. Yeah, exactly. So I thought, um, you know, a couple of those sacks, the interception by Rodney McLeod uh, was out of that coverage as well. Yep. Ronald Darby did a great job of kind of tightening that hole, the turkey hole. To, yes. It's an apt description yes. uh, with it being Thanksgiving. The week, whole but, shot, absolutely. Um, uh, did a great job squeezing that down and getting the ball up in the air. You know who I thought played well, too? I thought Nate Gary played well. Yeah, he had a good game. I mean, I thought he flashed. Yep. You know, and I wasn't studying him, just him on every play. Sure. But I thought he flashed. You know, I, he look, and it was it was a bad play, the, the missed tackle on that 30-plus-yard completion to, to Rex Burkhead last week against New England. Oh, I, um, right, right. But even outside of that outside of that play, right. I thought he played really well in that game against New England. I thought he was really active. I thought he made plays sideline to sideline. I, I agree. He, he showed up in that well, game. Well, it's funny you mentioned that 30-yard play a week ago. That's just the kind of thing we're talking about. A play like that happens, and unfortunately, they can't make that up. Right, yep. And so it becomes magnified. Right. But I thought he played well in this game. Yeah. No, I thought he showed up. And I kind of like what they're doing. I'm sorry to interrupt you. No, but no. I kind of like what they're doing with their pass rush, which I think has been a lot better the last number of weeks, particularly when they go sub-dime. Yep. I like what they, they – it's Graham and Cox inside. Sweat's played well, I yep. think. Sweat and um, – um, Barnett on the outside. Uh, Avery played a few snaps on the outside. And Curry played a lot of D-tackled. Yeah, time. and I thought he, he had some flash plays as well, snaps. I thought, yep. yes. Yeah. Um, what I love especially, and this was something I uh, I talked about on this week's uh, Eagle on the Sky article, was you know the what they've been able to do out of that diamond front um, and just being able to mic- manipulate and break down protections. I thought in a couple of those plays early in the game, they ran it eight times with Nigel Bradham lined up over Mike Upati. And early in the game, every time, Mike Upati would go to block Nigel Bradham and Bradham would take a couple steps up and then drop back and he would typically would be a spy. He right. might drop man-to-man well, back. He might get eyes in, underneath zone coverage. But he was occupied. Fletcher Cox gets home and he forces a sack, You know, just forcing those one-on-ones. It's funny you say that because that's something I noticed right away too. You know, it's you make notes and I have my notes in front of me, but yeah. as we're talking, you know, things pop back into my head. Um, and it, it made me, it bothered me that I didn't speak about it last week when we were leading up to the game, mm-hmm. but seeing Fletcher Cox as a zero technique because Joey Hunt next to the rest of that offensive line looked like a 10-year-old. Right. And, yep. and I've noticed that on film because he's obviously playing because Britt is uh, Justin Britt's hurt. Yep. And I don't know if he's done for the year. I forget, but obviously he's not playing for Seattle now. And Joey Hunt's just a little guy. Yeah. I mean, he, he fights. He's, you know, he's fine for them, yep. but he's a little guy. Yep. And as soon as I saw early in the game, might have been the second or third or fourth snap of the game. Third snap. It was for the first third down. Okay, yeah. Yep. And, and and I saw Fletcher Cox's the zero technique right over not good. Hunt, which he pushed him <laughs> right back into yes. the pocket. I said, oh, why didn't I say that last week? Because I knew they were going to do that. I mean, we all make mistakes, Greg. Well, I didn't really think it was a mistake, <laughs> friend, but okay. Can't be batting a thousand all the time. Um, I think, to me, and I'll, I'll just quickly just kind of break it down for the listeners right, and explain right. why that works so well. Um, you know, And we've talked about it a little bit, but uh, it was a topic that I hit on in the article, and I felt like in this space it could kind of be good and, and jump in uh, where you feel the need. I think you know the big thing that we've seen around the NFL you know, is the, the use of this front, where you've got five guys over five, and typically that fifth defender is some kind of a stand-up linebacker. Right. Which means that somewhere along the line, you've got three defensive linemen to one side of the formation, covering up the center and then to one side. If it was just those four defensive
defensive lineman down and that linebacker wasn't down the line, typically what you'd see is the offensive line do kind of a four-man slide, slide that direction and provide extra help to that heavy side, that tilted side. Correct. But with the linebacker present, with Nigel Bradham there over the guard, they can't slide that no. way. Or at least they, they choose not to slide that way because well, it's hard have, to. Yeah, you yeah. have to treat Nigel Bradham as if he's going to blitz. And a lot of teams now are doing that where they go with what you call tilted, I call it over strong, yep. where you either have a zero technique or three to one side of the center, yep. three D linemen. And a lot of teams now are putting a linebacker, just like Nigel Bradham, in a stand-up position as a three technique opposite that tilted front or over strong front. Yep. And then they go with kind of a wide nine D end outside of the linebacker. And what you're basically saying is you do that because the pass protection sets – to each to each man, so yep. it becomes one on one. Even if Bradham just takes two steps forward, you can't change the protection in the middle of the play. Yeah. So th- that guard, he's responsible for Bradham, and that guard then gets removed as help. Let's say on Fletcher Cox lined yep. up over the center. Yeah. So now he can't. Mike Upati can't help when no. Joey Hunt's getting bench pressed into Russell Wilson. No, lap. no. So it's it's and the Eagles did it, and a lot of teams do it, and it's it's a really good tactic, particularly if you want if you have a particular player you want to set a matchup to, or even if you want to run like we saw this over the last couple of weeks. Remember John Jannard Avery sack. Uh, what was that? What day? What game was this? You're talking about Chicago that long game. stunt. Yeah, the because yeah. now if you're occupying that guard or if you're occupying the back on the backside with somebody else, they can't help with any kind of stunt, any kind right, of long right. stunt coming from the opposite side. So you're you're just really occupying that protection and you're just breaking it down. You're yeah. cutting the protection in half and saying, you know what, we've got more guys here than you can block or... Or we got a one-on-one that, one-on-one that, that we feel pretty good about. Exactly, right. because that, that's the other thing too is that we haven't really seen this yet. Maybe that's a new wrinkle that we'll start to see. That defensive end who's also backside of, the, of this three-man side... He's also one on one, right? And that's how you know. So we, I see this all all around the league all the time. You know, I'll how well you're going through a lot of sacks, so you're seeing this. Yeah, well, you know, why is why is Von Miller one on one on this play? Well, it's because they lined up four guys over there. And why said, is Joey? You know, one-on-one. Joey Bosa or Nick Bosa one on one? San Francisco so good. San Francisco that. did the that so well it. last night. Did they? I haven't watched that yeah, film yet. Yeah, I mean that's the to me like. I love that stuff. I love yeah. that chess match up front. And then the big, the thing that got me so excited uh, at the end of the game, going through and just watching, was the sack that Malcolm Jenkins and Brandon Graham split. Because well, that was a green dog. Well, that was a green dog, but but again, look, it was Bradham as the fifth rusher eating up the back, and Jenkins had the back man to man, and then Jenkins adds into the rush, yep. and there's no blocker for him. Yep. And what was great was right before the snap, you could see Upati and uh, and Russell Wilson kind of talking and like pointing things right. out. And in my mind, I'm thinking... And you don't think ta- they were talking about Sierra hosting the American Music Awards I, I last don't, night? I don't think that was a topic of discussion. It might have been. It might have been. been. But my guess is they were saying... Look, guys, like I've been I've been blocking Nigel Bradham all game on third and long, and he's not coming. They've run it seven times. Right. He, he dropped off. He probably six. didn't know how many times, yeah. but but, but he, right, he, right. He keeps dropping out. Right. Let's just do the slide. So they, right. They slide four. He slides away, and of course, on this one, Bradham, Bradham comes. comes. And, and, and the, Penny had to pick him up, and then Jenkins had Penny in in man to man coverage. Like, I I and love no, that that's, kind of stuff. I, so do I. Yeah. This, so anyway, do I. I thought that was a really that, really that's cool. football. Yeah. That, that's yeah. The, to me like yeah. that chess match in the trenches. Oh yeah. Was really really fun. Um, other notes that I've got just from the defensive side, uh, I mentioned the man coverage, good mix of the cover two, uh, the five over five looks. The Jenga, the um, So I, I charted eight times where they were in that look. Uh, all but two he, can't, he, uh, he right, fell out, right. which I thought was interesting. Uh, we talked about Malcolm Jenkins. Two, two sacks total in the day. Or he was in on three, one that was on his own, and then one the two right. others where he split. That's a career high. 
all of them seemed like they were on Green Dogs. I wasn't yeah. sure on the first one. That was really, I could yeah, not tell I, what kind of coverage Yeah, I wasn't in. sure either. He looked like he blitzed yeah. off the back, though. Yeah. Like, once the back yeah. stopped, like he was in protection. I know the play you're talking off. about, and I looked at it, and then I finally said, you know what, I'm just going to move I'm on. I'm just going to move on. <laughs> he Green Dog. I had a lot more plays to look at. I'm just going to move on. <laughs> no, but he, I thought Malcolm did a great job in this game. He had, and you mentioned he was used as a spy, and I thought he was really effective. Yep. Uh, in and, you know, the other thing, and before we move on to the Dolphins, that we've both noticed this year is how Rodney McLeod has, they've really asked him to be much more of a multidimensional safety. Yeah. Because it seemed that when he first got here and for a good year and a half, two years, he was basically the post safety. Yep. And now he does a lot more down in the box. He plays man-to-man on tight ends at times. Yep. He's just more involved, closer to the line of scrimmage. And I think he's doing a good job. Just a couple of interesting stats. We're talking about the, just the defense and the, the guys in the secondary all coming back. In November, the Eagles lead the NFL right now in allowing just 53.2% completion percentage against opposing quarterbacks. So just kind of speaking to the coverage that's being played on the back end, uh, they've allowed 17 points or less in four straight games. First time in a decade that they've allowed that. that Which is a shame. That. That's why this is, is such a shame. I mean, they're two and two over that span, which is unfortunate. But uh, the defense is really, really turning it it's around. Turned around, um, and it's it's really. Good. Give, they're going to need it. Down I the give stretch. Schwartz a lot of credit because I think he's been doing some. I don't want to say different stuff, stuff he's never done before, right. but yep. but I just think he's mixed things up very nicely. I really love what they're doing up front and, yeah. and uh, what they've done over the last few weeks and with the press man coverage, allowing yep. Malcolm to be more aggressive with the green yeah. dogs and things like it's it's it, it just adds another layer. No, I agree. It's be more been versatile. good. It's been a lot of fun. All right, uh, let's get to this week's matchup. Which, by the way, just before we start, yes. you can say what you want. It's not going to be a gimme. No. They're playing very hard. Yeah. All the stuff about like tanking and tank this, tank Oh, no, that. they're not like, tanking that's, at that's all. That's not how the, the players and coaches don't feel that and way. And I know they lost by a pretty decent-sized score to Cleveland uh, on Sunday, but uh, you know they had a couple issues in, in, in coverage. There was a bust on the Beckham touchdown. Yep. Um, but I think this team's playing pretty hard. The stats are uh, like if you look at the stat, like the stats, sure, they're pretty game, ugly. They're really, they're really ugly. Yeah. But I'm telling you, like on film, when you watch them, this is a group that is playing hard. They've got a lot of injuries, a lot of guys not in the lineup, so it's a lot of names. You're like, who's that? Who is that? I, I've never even heard of this guy. But uh, they're finding, they're flying around to the football and defense, and offensively, they're they're trying to make their way with a guy, Ryan Fitzpatrick, who the Eagles saw a year ago in Tampa. <laughs> And this guy can throw it all over the yard. Say, At the end of the day, he yeah. can throw it all over the yard. And say what you want. And, and he's one of those quarterbacks. He could come in and he could throw four picks. Or before you blink, he could throw two 40-yard touchdowns and all of a sudden you're losing 14-3. I saw it in Tampa last year. No, it's, he's, you have to be careful with it. And plus, and I don't know if they'll spy him on third down, but he can make plays with his legs as right. well, even his advanced age. Yeah, uh, Ben Fennell and I ch- joke watching Ryan Fitzpatrick all the time. We, this goes back the last couple of years. He's like the king of the YOLO ball. Like he is going to, uh, you know... Uh, pressure's coming. He's like, you know what? Screw this. Like, I'm chucking this one exactly. down. I'm, I'm just cutting it loose, and I'm, I'm going let to it, let it fly uh, for better or for worse. As you mentioned, it might be four picks. It might be four touchdowns. Uh, but that's that's. And you don't, know. you don't know. You don't like You don't know. <laughs> the issue they're having is a total inability to run the football. Yeah. They cannot run the football no. at all. Yeah. And it's uh, certainly been an, an impact for them. Uh, they traded away. Um, the, the kid from Alabama. Ken, Ken, they traded with Kenyon Drake. Who's a talented kid. Talented kid. And then Mark Walton got, uh, they had to cut him sure. for reasons yep. other than football. Yep. And Kalen Balaj has not worked out. This is not at all. Pressure. And he's a guy that a lot of people, you and I talked about him coming out of ASU. Yep. 
You know, big, big kid yeah. can run fast in a straight line, but has just not been able to generate any kind of run game whatsoever. Yep. Uh, Patrick Laird has kind of stepped in and has been a little yeah. bit of a spot player for them. I saw him play in college. Yeah. Cal, right? Yeah. 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 What did you think? What, tell us about Patrick Laird. I, you know, I didn't study him, but I remember watching Cal and I, I remember seeing this little back and he showed up yeah. because he's he's tough for a small guy. He's physical. He's a runner and a receiver. He's mm. a very good pass catcher. Yep. No, uh, he's he's certainly a guy that yeah. they're going to use in that no way. No question. Um, you know, if uh, you know, with kind of moving him around, Texas yep. routes out of the backfield, finding Oh no, matchups, no. Uh, that's kind of yep. I mean, that that staff, you know, Chad O'Shea is the offensive coordinator. This is all the New England. It's all New it's England. It's all New England yep. on both sides of the football. So they're, they're well, you can see you can Nicholas. see it for sure on the defensive side of the ball. No question. For sure. Before we get to that defense, though, I just want to kind of finish up uh, the offense. They trade away Laramie Tunsil in the uh, in the summer, so the offensive line's been a little bit piecemeal. They they let Jawan James go in the off season as well, so both starting tackles from last year are gone. Uh, Jesse Davis at right tackle, Evan Bames at right guard because Danny Isadora is on injured reserve. Uh, Daniel Kilgore did come back. I think he's their only other. Uh, right. Him and Michael Dieter are the only da- other starters that they had penciled in. Right. Uh, this time we'll say in July, uh, and then Julian Davenport right now is at left tackle. Right, the so. Bucknell kid who originally was drafted by the Houston Texans. Yep. And a lot of people liked him as a down the road project obviously didn't work out in Houston but he's now playing left tackle yep so the the, the, the offensive line has certainly been piecemeal from a pass catching standpoint uh Devontae Parker has you know has had a solid season uh he's been their number one playmaker for without sure. question yeah tell and he's, Parker. well he's got the ability you know he came out of Louisville yep. I believe he was the 14th player chosen yep. at the time uh a lot of people thought that he had, you know, the body type and a skill set similar to AJ Green. He hasn't quite turned out that way, yep. but in any given game, he's that kind of player. Now, there haven't been many games like that, but he's another one of those guys. He can make plays in any given game and you have to be careful about him. He's uh, he's 6-3, he's long, he's lanky, he can run, he can make contested catches. The skill set and the traits are there. Yep. So the it seems watching all of his targets and just how he's been able to make his big plays. It's been quick in-breakers. And this isn't anything. This isn't rocket science. This is big receivers winning in the NFL. It's been quick in-breakers. Right. And it's been fades, go balls down this right side. He does a great job going up and over. The catch that stands out to me was one he made against Dallas where he was getting interfered with and made one right-handed, one-hand catch over the shoulder. Uh, He's able to to make those kinds of big-time plays. You cannot allow him to catch those, whether they're quick slants or deeper slants, and get ahead of steam and run because he's a long strider and he can eat up ground. Uh, Albert Wilson in the slot and also a little bit outside. Yeah. Uh, yeah, he came back. He was injured last yeah. year, came back. It doesn't seem like he's got quite the amount of juice he did a year ago. No, but, but he's – and again, maybe he doesn't. He's but, still – but he, uh, right, no, he's, uh, right. he's that kind of – and then Jakeem Grant, also a very dynamic player. He's, yes. he's just small. Yes, uh, but, he, but he is dynamic. Yes. Uh, so that They've got – they do have players who are potential big play players. I mean, the other guy, and that's why you have to be careful in this game. The, the tight end, Mike Kosicki, uh, is kind of coming on as well. He's, he's had a few games plays. in the last month or so where you say, "Hey, maybe he can play." I mean, he's a six-six kid. Yep. Uh, athletic over routes, uh, yes. vertical routes. Yes. I mean, that's how he at Penn State. He was a vertical receiver. No, no question. Yeah, uh, and that's kind of how he, he's because he's so tall and long-legged. He's not kind of an in and out of his break guy. Right. Yep. But he can run vertically. Yes. Uh, so you know, those are kind of the guys that uh, you've got. To worry about you know in this offense and again I think with two big guys in Parker and with Kasicki, Ryan Fitzpatrick's not afraid to just cut it loose, let no, it go to those. And that's guys. why I said this is not a gimme. I yeah. mean, 
hey, maybe I'll be I'll be wrong and people will laugh at me next week, you know, after he throws four picks. But to me, I've seen Fitzpatrick do this too often. And by the way, he started over 130 games in the league. People might laugh at you anyway, regardless. Well, they do, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, Fitzpat- I mean, but Fitzpatrick, uh, I mean, that's that's the kind of guy he is. No question. Uh, let's go over the defensive side. You, know, you mentioned uh, very New England Patriots-esque on both sides. Uh, Brian Flores. I'll tell you what, I, you know, I, I didn't know Brian Flores for a couple of years ago. Um, I was around him at the Combine a little bit. A lot of faith that that guy is going to— He's an impressive guy. He's very, very impressive. Very impressive guy. Um, yeah, I, look, defensively, they're very piecemeal right now with what they got from a personnel standpoint, but no, they're making it work and, and making play, you know, trying and, to make and, some plays. Here. And the thing I like about Brian Flores, and again— just giving you my yeah, my sure. pointless point of view is he's not playing scared on defense. No, definitely they not. They play a lot of man coverage with guys you pr- a lot of people may never have heard of. Yep. And we'll mention their names in a moment. Um, he brings five a lot. This is a team that uh, is in the top ten in the league in blitzes versus quarterback dropbacks. Yep. He's not playing soft and scared. He's attacking. And if you're going to beat him, you're going to have to you're going to have to win against a challenging style of defense. Yeah. Now maybe the guys aren't the great players. Although I'm very intrigued by the corner number 40, Nick Needham. Yeah. I did not watch him coming out of UTEP. I did not either. But he's long. He's athletic. I think he's a very intriguing corner going forward. So the comparison I would make, and this flies directly in the face of what I said at the top of the discussion about Miami and that they're not tanking, they're not tanking. It's kind of similar to me with Brett Brown and the Sixers. where We're trusting the process? We're trusting the process. But early on, Brett came out. The players on the court were were not good, but they were running their scheme and they were right. trying to figure out who are the guys that are going to stick. Who's right. going to be our Robert Covington? Who's going to be you know the guy that we're going to say okay, like our T.J. McConnell that you know maybe they're not going to be a star for us in the well, future. You just named two guys who aren't there. I know, but you know what I'm saying. Like, as we're getting through, but we're trying to find our guys that are going to be, because you know, right. they turned Covington into a trade piece. We're not right, going right, to go down this right. road, Greg. But I think when you look at what they're doing defensively, I kind of see, like, all right, this is how they want to play. No question. This is the scheme they're going to employ yes. three years from now with different players. Or next they're, year. They're trying, you know. to, they're trying to find out who's going to stick. And no he, question. To me, Nick Needham is a guy that... Yeah, he's probably going to stick. stick. He might not be one of their top two corners. Right. Maybe he is, but he might not be. He's going to play for them moving forward. The other guy I think is interesting to me because I remember watching him at Oklahoma, and he's an athletic kid, is Stephen Parker, the safety. Mm. Um, He's now starting for them at safety. Yep. And uh, I just think he's one of those long athletic athletes. I haven't studied him enough in Miami to sit here and say, oh, he's really good or not good. But I think he has the kind of traits that – you, as a coach, you probably feel you can develop. Three former Eagles in that starting secondary, if you include the nickel corner. I don't know if you can name them. I'd be shocked if you could name them. Well, they they have Eric Rowe. Eric Rowe is certainly one. He's starting, starting at safety, safety Strong now. safety now. And he always matches up to the tight end yep, so when, they, the when they play 11 personnel and, and they go nickel. Rewind or back to Super Bowl 52. Eric Rowe, Zach Ertz. That'll be a right, matchup. We'll right. see. Yep. No question. He's the tight end matchup. Uh... Other Eagles in the secondary, not Wiltz. Jamal Wiltz was here in the summer. I want to say it was... Because he's their slot corner. He, he might have been in here in the summer of the Super Bowl year. It might have been 18 as well, but he was here during okay. training camp up through the end of the preseason. And wasn't Ryan Lewis here? Ryan Lewis was here for yeah. the 10-sack game against the Jets and actually yes. played... And then he was because starting he was also with Buffalo. Yes. And, and I remember watching him in Buffalo, and he gets snaps. He had an interception this week. Yeah, he gets snaps. That's Cleveland. Yeah. I mean, he's yeah. starting for them at right corner yeah. right now, uh, again, because of, of where they're at from a personnel right. standpoint. Well, he, he's in and out. They start um, Needham and uh, 
why can't I think of the other corner? I, I made a note of it. Uh, it so they've it, got a few guys. They've got Chris Lemons. They've got Ken Webster, Ken Crawley. Uh, Crawley. Okay. Crawley, Crawley normally. Colorado Florida. kid. Yeah. 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 Um, Who was with New Orleans for yes, years. Yes, correct. Yes. Um, all right, so uh, that's kind of the secondary from a linebacker standpoint. Uh, two guys from Ohio State that I feel like they feel could be potentially guys they can work with in the future. Jerome Baker, who's the smaller, more athletic right. guy. Right, who fits Brit- today's NFL. Yes, uh, had a sack that you're going to break down this week on Eagles game plan against the Colts, so we'll talk about what that What if I don't later. want to? Oh, you're going to have to. We're not, we're not changing this. <laughs> too late now, Greg. We're, we're too far away. Uh, but uh, Raekwon McMillan, another guy, former right. second-round pick. He's more of the, the classic, you know, First and guy, second first down second guy, guy, right, because yes. he does not play in their sub. I mean, unless it's first and ten. Right. And they're playing sub, yes. but he's not going to play in their sub on third down. They have a guy, and I hate to say this, oh, I don't man, know how I to know. pronounce his name. I know, and he's uh, he's been a factor in their pressure pack. No question, uh, he's actually I think he's flashed on film. Yeah, the, so it's number forty nine, Sam Egwavion. Egwavon. I'm do- I'm going for it. I went for it. Let's call him Sam. Sammy E. Yeah, Sammy E. Okay. Yeah. So Sammy E. has shown up. Number forty nine. Um, I had no idea who he, he's like. Nick Needham to me when I was pretty athletic. Them, I said, "Who who is this guy?" I mean, Baker and Sammy E. are are not unathletic right. linebackers. No, not at all. Um, and then when you get to this front, uh, they go. <clears throat> That's where they're struggling. They don't really have a pass rusher. No, they they drafted Charles Harris in the first round. And I he missed. Has I not missed quite I missed out. on Charles Harris. Me too. It's like um, from Mizzou because he was in the same draft with Derek Barnett. He was. He was. And I'll be the first to admit I liked him more than Derek Barnett coming out, yeah. but I guess I was wrong. No, there was a lot of intrigue there with Harris. Uh, Taco Charlton, they picked up off waivers right. from the Dallas Cowboys. He's got three, four sacks yeah. so far for them this year. Um, but they have Wilkins from Clemson. Yep. Uh, who's flashed a little bit, but right. I would say right. has been an impact player for them yet early Although on. the kid, I think, shows up. He's not a pass rusher per se. I like the LSU kid, Gotcha. I have I always like shows up. Yeah. Yep, sure. I mean, he's just not a pure pass rusher. A solid all-around player. And uh, yes. honestly, he like, fits like, that scheme. If, if you, no question. Yeah. If you had a better pass rusher, yeah. he'd be a really good player. Yeah, I think he's one of those guys. They're missing like that guy yeah. up front, that yeah. Trey Flowers, that, yes. you know, that, yes. that guy. And that's who they'll look to get, those kinds of players. Yeah, I mean, they, they're going to need a, a bunch of those. They're going to need a bunch of them. Um, but uh, just real quick, to just talk about the profile of defense. It's very similar to what we talked about a couple weeks ago with New England, a couple of months ago in Detroit. Very versatile in their fronts and yes. how they deploy that personnel. Even though you may not know all the names on the back of the jersey, the numbers, right. they use those guys in all different spots yes. and, and deploy them differently. A lot of man coverage on the back end, heavy sub package. Correct. A lot of and, blitz as well. And also some disguise and late movement. And yep. that's something the Eagles are going to have to be very wary of this week. Yeah, it's uh, it's not it's not a gimme game for sure. They got to go down and play their A game, game at all. No, they got to go down and play their A game. But uh, Greg, excited to talk about it uh, next week here on the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast, fueled by Gatorade. We will uh, still talk to you next week. All right, thanks, Fran. Great stuff from Greg, and you could follow him on Twitter just like I do at Greg Cosell. And while you're at it, I'm at fduffy3. That's where I post all the podcasts I'm a part of and all of our X's and O's content that we produce here at PhiladelphiaEagles.com. And you know how much I appreciate each and every one of you that promote the podcast on all forms of social media. That's great. We love you guys for it. But the best way, the number one way to just throw us some love, throw us some support, is to go onto Apple Podcasts or Stitcher, wherever you listen, and just leave us a rating and leave us a comment. And if you leave a question, we'll answer it here too. And I want to give a shout out to a few people that did leave comments over the last few weeks. Birdcage Mike left a five-star review saying how much he loves the show and how much it gets him ready uh, for each and every Eagles game. Mike, really appreciate uh, you listening. Dustoff Guy one left a five-star review checking in from Portland, Oregon, saying how much they enjoy all the analysis each week. So uh, Dustoff, appreciate that. And then Bird.Gang left a five-star review saying how much they love the show. They've been following on the app for years. 
and just started the podcast with a question. Why didn't Deshaun Jackson, why wasn't he talked into having surgery? I am heartbroken. Obviously, this was uh, a little bit ago before Deshaun or after Deshaun uh, was put on injured reserve. And look, all those, I, I'm not involved in those discussions. I couldn't tell you. But all I'll say, all I'll say is this. All these players, they're just like you and I. They're humans, right? So whenever they're presented with any kind of scenario that has to do with you know, getting surgery or any other kind of serious medical procedure, there's a lot of thought, a lot of discussion that goes into that. And Deshaun Jackson, you know, he's a very competitive guy. He wants to come out. He wants to do what's best for the team. He wants to try and practice. He wants to try and play. He wants to get out there uh, and be available for his team. So, you know, all those decisions, there's a lot that goes into it. I couldn't tell you exactly, uh, you know, everything that went in behind the scenes on that. But all I'll say is, you know, knowing that all these guys, they're all humans. And I think that's the number one thing to always remember with everything that happens, you know, around the NFL, around all professional sports. Those guys are people, too. They're not just uh, names and numbers, uh, you know, on a, on a video game or on a fantasy football roster. So there's a lot that goes into all of those de- decisions. And uh, Deshaun's a few weeks ago and, and really a couple months ago now uh, is certainly something uh, that falls into that category. All right, let's now get into scouting report this week. We're going to break down Michael Dieter, who is a day two pick out of Wisconsin for this Miami Dolphins football team, a day one starter along the offensive line. We're going to break him down now in our scouting report. Dim those lights. We're headed to the film room for the scouting report. All right, so Michael Dieter, he was a player that if you listened to us over on the Journey of the Draft podcast a year ago, I was, been, I was singing his praises from the summer all the way up through the NFL draft. This is a guy that I was really high on. Four-year starter along the offensive line, pro-style system. Everything you saw there with him at Wisconsin was, oh man, like this guy, he's ready-made for the NFL. He played a bunch of different positions, lined up at four different spots, uh, and we'll just get into the, the, the positives here. Look, from a build standpoint, a little bit uh, you know, below average height, shorter arms, didn't quite look the part, especially if you liked him at tackle, definitely looked more like a guard. So he's certainly, he's some in there at the left guard spot for this Dolphins team. And from a positive standpoint on film, he got out of his stance quickly. I thought he was a pretty easy mover. He had pretty light feet, especially for a guard. I thought he had a really good feel for stunts and twists and blitzes, everything that he was seeing from a defensive standpoint. I thought he saw things really well, played with good pad level and hand placement in the run game. And all of the athletic blocks he would have to make inside of that scheme, whether it's you know pulling or whether it's you know reach blocking from the backside, getting up to the second level, screen game, I thought he executed all of those at a really high level, and he was really violent on contact. You know, he let defenders know they were in for a battle each and every time he lined up against them. From a negative standpoint, though, I thought he had some trouble when he let defenders into his chest in pass protection. That was one of one weakness is that he kind of exposed his chest a little bit. His punch placement wasn't always great. So when those defenders were able to get inside of his framework, he didn't quite have that anchor to be able to drop his weight and stop a bull rush. He would get walked back into the pocket at times, both at tackle and at guard. So that was one concern. He didn't quite have a lot of power one-on-one to be able to move people on contact as well. Um, so that was those really were the two big flaws that I saw was anchor strength and power one-on-one driving people off the ball uh, in the run game. But overall, you know, I wrote that he was an athletic, tough, smart, versatile lineman, high floor as a swing backup, but to me had the ceiling to be one of the better guards in football. And I thought that if he could continue to develop his body and become stronger and more powerful, that he would be a guy that could be viewed as worthy of being a top 50 pick uh, and a longtime starter, an early starter in the NFL. I did think he needed to refine his hands a little bit. But uh, looking at him, look, 
we're still very, very early, right? We're not obviously not even a full season uh, into his development. So a lot that needs to be told. But I think ultimately, you know, watching offensive linemen from around the league, and I've really been paying attention to trench play from around the NFL, all 32 teams this season. So just kind of keeping an eye on how teams are attacking protections, how teams are trying to pick up different blitzes and different pressures. What are teams doing uh, in the trenches? And so with that, I've been able to watch a lot of young linemen from around the league and, you know, what's working for them, what's not working for them, who's having having success, who is not. And I will say this, almost universally, and these are guys that were high draft picks, some guys that were day two picks, some guys that were day three picks, rookie linemen, they're going to get beat. Offensive line, along with playing in the secondary, I would say those two positions, along with playing quarterback, are so difficult for young players to come into the NFL and play at a really, really high level. It's very difficult. But I would say that the one trait that's important, if you're going to ask that guy to come in and play right now, play immediately, You've got to be able to hold up from a play strength standpoint, from a power standpoint. I think that's the question uh, that you're going to see with a lot of those guys. Is yeah, they can play. I mean, Michael Dieter, you know, he's playing and he's playing at, you know at a fine level. But almost every game, you're going to see where he gets pushed back into the pocket just a little bit. He doesn't quite have that sand in his pants to be able to drop his weight and hold on and stand up a bull rusher on a down by down basis. So that's been an issue for him. And I think you can look. Uh, you know, I looked at Jacksonville and a guy in Jawan Taylor coming out of Florida. I thought this guy was a top ten talent. No, no question. He had some medical issues, uh, and that was going to be a concern for him, and that was honestly what caused him to drop out of round one altogether. He, he ended up going in the second round. He's been a day one starter for the Jacksonville Jaguars. He's got plenty of strength. He's got plenty of power, but the issue you see with him is that, I mentioned this with Dieter earlier, he's got the, the propensity to allow defensive linemen to get into his chest and drive him backwards. So I'm, all, I'm, I'm almost kind of talking in circles here at this point, but I think ultimately you've got to be able to hold up in pass protection from a strength standpoint, uh, or else you're, gonna, you're going to give up those plays. It doesn't mean you can't play. It doesn't mean you're never going to be able to play, but if you're gonna, you can't expect that they're going to play at a super, super high level because you see rookies all across the NFL that just don't have that ability to hold up and pass protection right away from a physical standpoint and that's really the the big question now what can you do to build off that? Because you can build. A lot of people say, "Yeah, we can get him stronger. We get him into the NFL weight room, get a full off season, get get in that weight program for a full spring, and now you're gonna see a, a completely different body." So I can't wait to watch all of these young offensive linemen from all around the NFL. Really, next year and when we get into 2020 and 2021, you know, what do these guys look like? And I look around at some of these guys. I mean, Isaac Samala was a, a great example of somebody that you know early in his career he did struggle, and he we remember in 2017. Uh, he came out and he, he was benched early in that season and ended up going to the bench, coming back. He was became a versatile piece for that Eagles off, offensive line on the Super Bowl run, was the extra offensive lineman, was asked to do a lot of different things, had a key block in Super Bowl 52 against the Patriots as that sixth offensive lineman. So it doesn't again, it doesn't mean you can't play. You're just going to have some of your struggles early on. You're going to take your lumps. And I think with rookies across the NFL, I think it's very, very important for us on the outside to know we can't jump to conclusions early. There's so much that goes into developing guys in the NFL when it comes to, you know, across all positions, mentally, physically, there's a lot that goes into it. We are all, we are all very aware of the, the toll that this game can play on these guys. So it's a very, very interesting topic. Something that I love following is just the development of young players, what works for guys early, what doesn't work for them early, and then how can they rebound off of that. So uh, to me, watching offensive linemen, watching a guy like Michael Dieter that I loved it Wisconsin. I wrote so many times that this guy was tailor-made. He's ready. He's an early starter. Well, 
he's not quite as ready because he's got to get a little bit bigger and a little bit stronger, and you're seeing that on a weekly basis show up. So that's one of my takeaways watching him. I think it's a really interesting topic to continue studying here uh, moving forward. So uh, that's how I feel about Michael Dieter. Great show this week. Really appreciate the time from Greg Cosell, as always. We will catch up with him next week to recap this game and talk about the Eagles moving down the stretch here. Pivotal time, obviously, as they prepare to try and make a run for the postseason. Until then, though, we will see you next time here on the on the Eagle High in the Sky podcast, fueled by Gatorade. For everybody here at the Novacare Complex, I'm Fran Duffy. We'll talk to you next week.